Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Dynasty Dawn. I am your host, as always, at PsychWardFF on all social media platforms. Hit me up. Last week, last episode rather, we covered some of the most overvalued assets in today's Dynasty market and Dynasty ADP. We're going to do the inverse. We're going to take a step back and look at some undervalued assets, cover a few names that we talked about in the previous episode, as well as getting deep in on some new names and some guys that their ADPs are pretty hard to explain in my opinion, but we're going to give an, an attempt and uh, kind of show you guys where you can have some value in the off season. But before we get too far into things, you know what we got to do. We got to get to Timbo. We got to drop that beat. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app. The only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. Like, share, subscribe, download the app. It's free. Click that bell on YouTube for notifications and wherever else you get your podcasts. What's up? The Dynasty Don is back at PsychWordFF. Going to look at some undervalued assets today. We're going to use sleepers ADP. We're going to use keep trade cut trade values. We're going to use dynasty league football ADP data. We're going to look at some guys that as it sits right now in the offseason, as these values are really leveling out and training camp news is, is kind of kicking off and we're seeing some depth charts. These values are going to maintain pretty much the, the, the same, um, place as we get into the offseason and preseason kicks off obviously potential injuries will happen and some people will move up and down the depth chart for that matter but for the most part the guys that we're getting into today are, are certainly going to maintain this value and with little chances to increase or de decrease before the season starts um first off I'll, like we'll just get right into it the most polarizing player of last week's episode was garrett wilson garrett wilson who i believe is being heavily overvalued as a top 12 overall dynasty asset as wide receiver three overall it seems like you can't say garrett wilson's name without also mentioning chris olave in the dynasty market these days and for good reason like olave's 23 his sleeper adp is wide receiver eight that's three one or 25th overall um Keep trade cut rank wide receiver eight. That's two eight twentieth overall and keep trade cut. So a little bit of boost on what you would consider a market consensus. And DLF ADP falls right in line there. Two, three one twenty fifth overall. Adjacent assets being guys like Dak Prescott, Travis Kelsey, Kyler Murray, who we'll definitely talk about a little bit later as well. Tyreek Hill, um, aging out. Jonathan Taylor, who we talked about in the last episode, as I feel as a little bit of an overvalued asset. So that's a potential pivot. Amon Ross St. Brown and the rookie equivalent value there is essentially one premium first round rookie draft pick. You're going to add an early second to get that deal done. Olave has been one of the most polarizing assets in and of himself. And, and again, seemingly always in the shadow of Garrett Wilson's name, Garrett Wilson's spotlight. They, they're kind of in the same sentence, so to speak. Whenever you talk about one value, you're going to talk about the pivot back or, or maybe the reasoning is why Olave isn't valued in the same light. <clears throat> And the constant comparisons in cost and production, they're, they're just, they make sense. I mean, like, just look back at it. Both of their wideouts, they made their come up and says, I mean, collegiate superstars in all honesty at Ohio state, obviously coming through the exact same pipeline with Brian Hartland. Each solidified their standout prospect profiles with first round NFL draft capital, both in the top 15 being selected 10th Garrett Wilson and 11th Chris Olave overall, respectively. And as rookies, they enjoyed, I mean, eerily similar seasons. They both smashed historic analytic thresholds despite playing with bottom tier replacement level quarterbacks. And finally, the most obvious and easiest comparison is each enter their second season with 
an assumed uptick in production and value with drastically improved quarterback situations on the roster. Obviously, Wilson receives future Hall of Fame gunslinger Aaron Rodgers and Chris Olave gets longtime Raiders quarterback and hopefully Saints savior <laughs> uh, Derek Carr. Uh, obviously, if everything else is equal, the quarterback upgrade undeniably favors Garrett Wilson in a sense. But for how long that will even last is unknown. And Dynasty isn't a single season play. And based on their previous analytic profiles and what they did in their rookie season, which we will get into, there's not much of a difference in their range of outcomes. So you're looking at potentially one season of Aaron Rodgers for Garrett Wilson and, and maybe a little bit more stability with Derek Carr. If not, the Saints do have future draft picks. They didn't have 2023 first, but they have all of their first and future years to potentially, you know, bring in somebody new, if not stick with Derek Carr. So Aaron Rodgers, he's going to turn 40 years old before the season ends. And that gives the Jets potentially what might just be a mere one-off chance to find success before he retires. And a one-year upgrade for, at quarterback should not cause, in my opinion, obviously, should not cause a full round plus more value gap between form, the former teammates. And as I mentioned previously, like all of the positive reasons that, that anyone would have other than the slight single season quarterback upgrade. And for all we know, Rodgers could hit the same wall that Brady did. And that's not even going to be much of a production target value upgrade. But as we mentioned, like all of the positive reasons for inflating Wilson's value to 12th overall wide receiver three ahead of AJ Brown, ahead of CD lamb, which you're starting to see on market consensus apply to Alave who has a higher range of outcomes based on those metrics. Like we'll break it down. Olave played two fewer games. So that's 15 games played. Garrett Wilson played 17 in those 15 games. Olave has 72 receptions. Garrett Wilson, 83, a mere 11 receptions in two games separates them. That's wide receiver 20 for Olave wide receiver six, um, six for uh, Garrett Wilson in total receptions, 119 targets to 147 targets. So yes, Garrett Wilson outpaces him in single total targets, but Olave has a 26.7% target share, obviously playing fewer games and a lower passing volume offense. That was wide receiver 15. Garrett Wilson's 24.9% target share, although elite comes in at wide receiver 21. Again, edge to Olave, a 29.3% target rate. That's wide receiver 10 for Chris Olave, 26.9% target rate. That's wide receiver 16 in 2022 for Garrett Wilson. Again, edge Olave. Total receiving yards, 1,045 for Chris Olave with four receiving touchdowns, 1,103 with two plus more games played for Garrett Wilson for receiving touchdowns. Olave has 8.8 .8 yards per target at the wide receiver 22, 7.5 yards per target for Garrett Wilson, wide receiver 59. Again, edge Olave, 13.3 yards per reception for Garrett Wilson. That was wide receiver 35. And we have 14 point, oh, sorry, rather 14.5 um, yards per reception. That was wide receiver 21 for Chris Olave, again, edge Olave, 1670 air yards, wide receiver eight. And although he played two more games, 1575 air yards for Garrett Wilson, that was wide receiver 11. You're starting to see the trend edge Olave 14.0 yard a dot to a 10.7 yard a dot again edge Chris Olave 2.57 yards per route run that was wide receiver 10 edge Olave 2.02 yards per route run wide receiver 29 quite a big gap there 1.76 yards per team pass attempt for Garrett Wilson wide receiver 26 again edge Olave 2.25 yards per team pass attempt that was wide receiver nine and the most important thing the stickiest thing for predicting any um positional uh, point per game future is point per game past. 
So after all of those analytics that you would want to point to saying Garrett Wilson dominated, he didn't over Olave. And the most important analytic, points per game. 13.2 points per game for Chris Olave, wide receiver 25, 12.7, nearly half a point, but still edge Olave for Garrett Wilson at wide receiver 30. The only metrics in which Garrett Wilson has an edge over Chris Olave are total volume stats, with, which came with an additional two games played, and he doesn't even top him in all of those volume stats. Only in targets, receptions, and total yards. Olave tops Wilson in literally every advanced analytic metric and you're getting him for a round cheaper and people are like oh well Garrett Wilson was a better prospect because he early declared and, and Chris Olave is the older player and yeah that's true by five months by five months that's what separates the two of them like it's not a, a big enough age gap to look at their current position as a second year player and their career range of outcomes lasting a decade in the NFL for you to have an entire round's worth of gap where you can literally trade Garrett Wilson for Chris Olave in a first. It makes no sense. Every perceivable edge that you would want to point to Garrett Wilson having a higher range of outcomes than Chris Olave doesn't exist. Period. He tops Wilson in every advanced analytic metric used for predicting future range of outcomes for dynasty wide receivers after the first season. Ironically, Wilson's current evaluation as a top three asset is more reflective of Olave's peak ceiling. And that's a peak ceiling. That is a very difficult ceiling to reach. Both of these guys, in my opinion, should actually be viewed in the tier below well-established and elite producers like C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown. Obviously, you're going to have back-to-back Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase going in the first round, first eight picks. But then that tier breaks and it's Lamb and A.J. Brown. But now Garrett Wilson is being valued ahead of those two guys without proving the numbers and without having a higher range of outcomes than players that are drafted after him and if the quarterback upgrade is really the one thing that you're going to say this insulates Garrett Wilson's value as a top three wide receiver for his entire career in dynasty then you're lying to yourself you don't know if it's one year you don't know if it's two year but you do know that Aaron Rodgers is at the end of his career and although Derek Carr is not a hall of fame quarterback and has only made a couple pro bowls and, and and is by all intents and purposes a league average or replacement a replaceable quarterback it is still a more concrete situation than Chris Olave had in his first season so he should be seen to take a perceivable jump as well as Garrett Wilson and the market refuses to acknowledge that i do not think either one of these guys should actually be valued ahead of CD Lamb and AJ Brown but there should also be no value gap between Olave and Wilson themselves at all. Like wherever you think Garrett Wilson should actually settle out, if you think he's being valued at his peak, you obviously don't want to value him at his floor range of outcomes. So let's put him somewhere in the middle, somewhere in that mid second round. Then Olave should go right ahead by one pick or one pick behind. There should be no value gap whatsoever. And with that, Chris Olave stands at the top of my list as the most undervalued assets in Dynasty. And a lot of it obviously has to do, you don't have to always play the arbitrary game, but when you're looking at who is ranked ahead, the cost acquisition for other players with similar ranges of outcomes, he is at the bottom of all of those tiers behind Amon Ross St. Brown, behind Garrett Wilson, behind, and it makes no perceivable sense. Chris Olave has done absolutely everything you could hope a rookie wide receiver does, and he did it better than the guy that we are now crowning as the wide receiver three overall. I'm done with it. I think Chris Olave should be drafted in mid-second rounds. And if we're going to go as high as putting Garrett Wilson 112, then Chris Olave should be 2-1. And that's that.
<laughs> I get fired up when I'm talking about my Saints, but we'll talk about another guy that I got really fired up about and has always been parentally underrated. At least at one point, he was going as a top five quarterback in, in dynasty startups, and he'll absolutely see that peak ceiling again. I don't think it'll take very long. It, it's Kyler Murray. K1 is my well, not so much anymore, but AQB1, AQB1 for me. And I still think he should be viewed as a top eight um, dynasty asset at the quarterback position. Currently going as QB13, that's 3-2, overall on sleeper. QB12, 3-10, that's 35th overall on keep trade cut. He's only 25 years old. The adjacent assets for Kyler Murray in, in this market consensus calculators that we're using are Tyreek Hill, Jonathan Taylor, Amon Ross St. Brown, CJ Stroud, Saquon Barkley, DK Metcalf players ranked highly ahead of Kyler that I egregiously disagree with are Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, we'll bring up Jonathan Taylor's name again. Um, even Brees Hall is right around that cutoff for me, a, a true, you know, game changer at the running back position. But I would always, even with injury discount, consider Kyler a back end first, early second round asset. And the discounts that are currently being given are inexplicable and they've got to be taken advantage of. So let's do it. We're going to take advantage of these discounts. We're going to draft a QB 13 overall Kyler Murray all the time because the players ranked ahead of him are Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, who were undoubtedly in the same tier, rather ranked ahead of him in the same tier, who are undoubtedly going to need development time. The exact same amount of development time that is probably replacement level points per game. You're talking about 13, 14 points per game that you could even in dynasty legitimately find off the waiver. Should uh, you know, a quarterback get hurt and a backup pop off or pay a third round pick for guys like Ryan Tannehill. Like the, that is the same development window that people are allowing for Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson with obviously some career longevity attached and value insulation, but Kyler Murray is only 25 years old. And that development window is the same window that it will take for him to recover from injury. Like Kyler's only going to miss eight games. And, and sure, if the Cardinals are absolutely going to tank, and I'm, I'm sure that they are, that that might elongate a little bit, but we're not playing for eight games. We're playing to win dynasty championships one year, two year, three years in a row. And Everything about Kyler Murray is absolutely elite. The discount is nonsensical. It's nearly impossible, nearly impossible to acquire elite point per game producers at the quarterback position in Superflex leagues. Always we look at these values through Superflex lenses. The advantage of starting not one, but two weekly producers with number one overall scoring leader potential, it's league breaking. It's its league winning. And Kyler's current startup cost is blatantly disrespectful. It reflects mid-range QB2 prices, high-end QB2 prices for a player that has legitimately QB1 overall point per game ceiling. He can put up Jalen Hurts numbers and has been close to doing that for large stretches of his career. Kyler has posted four, four consecutive seasons of top 12 point per game production since entering the league, four of them, all before he turned the age of 25. Character and injury concerns don't matter. I'm, I'll put it out there right now. Character and injury concerns genuinely don't matter for producing fantasy points. And what is the injury concern with Kyler? He likes to play video games like he's not a true leader. Yeah, well, the kid puts up 24 points per game. I don't really care if his teammates don't like him, if those are consistently the numbers. And a four-year sample size is absolutely a large enough sample size to say those are consistently the numbers. 
The devaluing of an elite asset such as Kyler Murray allows for monumental value swings for anybody willing to build around the menial risk of him missing half a season of production, followed by what could nearly be a decade of elite play. The kid is 25 years old. I would not be surprised, and his contract certainly suggests so, that Kyler will be elite Kyler until his 30s. Yes, maybe the rushing production whittles back. That still leaves Kyler as a top six point per game producer in passing alone. If you took Kyler's rushing production away completely from the last three seasons, rookie season was definitely a lot more reliant on it as he rounded out as QB 11 in points per game. But if you take his um, rushing production away from the last three seasons, which yes, it has started to decline, but people ignore how good of a downfield passer Kyler Murray actually is. And I think Hollywood Brown is an excellent downfield asset. Yes, he loses Nuke, but Rondale Moore is an excellent downfield asset. Point being is he is a top six point per game producer in passing alone. What makes him that QB one overall ceiling a la a Jalen Hurts 2022 is when he adds those 480 rushing yards for an extra six rushing touchdowns. It doesn't have to be an 880 rushing yard ceiling with Kyler Murray because he is an elite passer. He's a truly elite passer. I'm tired of the, the, the discourse surrounding elite assets like this because of injuries that we know players bounce back from. I mean, this is even a long enough look back to like modern medicine has gotten better since Dalvin cook has even torn his ACL, but Dalvin cook tore his ACL shortly after his rookie season and massive discounts. He'll never play the same again. And then puts up four consecutive RB one top 12 points per game seasons. Like the, especially for quarterbacks, like the ACL, it's not the career killer that it used to be like the injury that Kyler Murray suffered. It's certainly detrimental to him missing eight games but a third round ADP for a quarterback that next year will be drafted in the first round, it's ludicrous. So every time you're in a draft at the late second and that 3-1 or that 3-2 and Kyler Murray is still there, there's no one else you should be drafting. Literally no one. It doesn't matter who falls, who's available. There's no other player at a third round ADP that is going to increase in value while also supplying top five overall, regardless of position point per game production, like Kyler Murray is. It's plain and simple. You're you're not even swinging for the fences. It is an insulated bet. It's as good as a bet as you can make. He won't lose value behind three, one either. Like you're the worst case scenario is that he's worth three, one again next year. That is absolute worst case scenario. And that will not be the case when Kyler is fully healthy. Jumping into our next guy. Again, we touched on him uh, a little bit in our previous episode when we were talking about overvalued assets, as I mentioned him as a very strong pivot off of Jonathan Taylor, as still, even with updated ADP and two weeks more of information, um, nearly a full round separates them uh, around nine picks. So it's Jameer Gibbs. It's Jameer Gibbs as the Jonathan Taylor pivot, if you were listening to the last episode. Age 21. Sleeper ADP of RB5, 3.4 overall, 28th overall. Uh, keep trade cut rank, RB5, 3.2, 26 overall. So real stable in that spot. You see that on both ADPs, all market calculators. Adjacent assets, CJ Stroud, trade him for Gibbs. Saquon Barkley, trade him for Gibbs. DK Metcalf, trade him for Gibbs. T Higgins, trade him for Gibbs. Devontae Smith, trade him for Gibbs. Jackson Smith and Jigba, trade him for Jameer Gibbs. And that is essentially saying in a rookie equivalent, he is worth one premium first round pick and a second round pick on top of that. There's only two running backs I would consider drafting ahead of Jameer Gibbs and Dynasty startups. Bijan Robinson, Brees Hall, 
end of list. That's it. There's nobody. There's no four. There's no five. He's dynasty RB three. Good argument for dynasty RB two with Brees Hall coming in off an ACL before he ever plays a snap. And truthfully, like Robinson, Hall, and Gibbs in that exact order should be viewed as a standalone tier of cornerstone assets in what is the most volatile position in all of dynasty leagues. Admittedly, obviously, I think it should be said so that people don't run at my Twitter and try and light my account on fire. The top of that tier is a bottleneck and it's Bijan Robinson. He should be considered the only platinum asset at the position period. But with that said, Jameer Gibbs should be valued in a back-to-back tier alongside Hall as really the only three players that I think will have insulated value within the top six for the next three to four seasons. And not an entire round of value below. Two rounds from Bijan, an entire round from Hall, half a round from um, Christian McCaffrey, a little bit more than half a round from Jonathan Taylor. Like, that's there's no need. And, and we mentioned uh, previously, but we're going to mention it again. The Lions rookie is in an elite tier with that 12th overall draft capital attached to him. Only three running backs in NFL history have been selected in the top 20 that have multiple collegiate seasons with a receiving market share above 10%. Okay, that's Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Reggie Bush. Every single one of those guys have put up top 12 seasons. Every single one of those guys have been valued as the RB1 overall and a first overall pick in Dynasty at one point or another. Jameer Gibbs has more than double the collegiate receiving market share of all three of those players, 21.7%. And furthermore, looking into all three of those players' rookie seasons and every running back that's been dropped or drafted within the top 20 have at least a 20% target share, a 40% rushing share, and Barkley, Bush, McCaffrey had both. So, like, we don't need... Jameer Gibbs to be a workhorse rusher. He's truly that special of a receiver. Any rushing is actually like the cake on it. Austin Eckler's never had a thousand yard season, has put up RB2, RB3, and RB1 performances overall. Being selected 12th overall by the Lions places Jameer Gibbs into a bucket of former first round running backs that have all received monstrous opportunity shares during their inaugural NFL season during their first year and have continued that production at an elite rate after that first year and franchise franchises simply don't do this. Like they simply don't spend up on a player like Jameer Gibbs or a running back for that matter at pick 12 overall, a player of Jameer Gibbs's caliber. They don't spend up on that, not to utilize that utility immediately and often a lot. This kid's going to see a lot of touches this season and a lot of touches this second season and a lot of touches. And until the wheels fall off because they drafted him 12th overall, the franchise is genuinely like burning money, burning value. If they don't do that, like that'll get somebody fired in a front office, right? Like drafting a running back that high and not just utilizing him until the wheels fall off. And he better have the talent to take that utilization as well. And you see it time and time again, this is the area where Jameer Gibbs is going to either be a monumental superstar based on all of the analytical um, data that we have from his collegiate season, all of the, you know, um, indicators of his talent, or he's going to be a monumental bust. There really will be no in between. And I'm absolutely willing to bet on the former. I think the kid's going to be a superstar. He's has an incredible prowess as a receiver and rusher. The lions have infinite paths to developing 
their newest franchise cornerstone. It, it doesn't matter how they utilize him. He's going to produce when they do. Even with the presence of David Montgomery, which doesn't bother me at all and shouldn't bother anyone. He's David Montgomery. It certainly didn't bother Khalil Herbert. And Jameer Gibbs is infinitely more talented than Khalil Herbert. But even with Montgomery's presence, there's no doubt that Jameer Gibbs is going to be targeted heavily in the passing game, simultaneously receiving several high-value opportunities as a rusher, and discounting him because he may never be a volume-based workhorse rusher is foolish. His path to elite production is not reliant whatsoever on leading any team he's ever on and carries. He has a collegiate career total of 103 career receptions, 1,212 yards, eight receiving touchdowns, an 84.0% catch rating. He ran 10.8% of his total routes from the slot in college and 15.1% of his total routes out wide and still boasts efficiency metrics above almost all receivers drafted past the first round in this year's NFL draft. He possesses receiving a profile that makes most wide out's pale in comparison and he adds 800 rushing yards a season on top of that plus whatever touchdowns we just saw jamal williams put up 17 breaking barry Sanders record the lions can muster up in 2023 i'm expecting a lot as they had a top offense and only have improved jameer gibbs offers a cheat code a konami code as we like to call it in the fantasy world of receiving production career longevity and upside at a position that is nearly impossible to predict all of those things at. You can fade him at your own risk, but avoiding a truly generational receiving profile in a running back like Jameer Gibbs is a mistake you'll always regret in any league that counts a reception as a form of scoring. Speaking of a guy that's going to deliver a lot of receptions, but that's great transition. It's Tua. It's Tua Tagovailoa being undervalued in my opinion. He's going to eat up as long as he's healthy that Dolphins offense is nasty it's fast it's good it's quick it's going to score a lot of points and if they can keep Tua upright and standing he is going to finish as a top eight quarterback in points per game he's 25 years old he's been extended with the Dolphins so he's got some security there he's got a sleeper ADP of QB 15 3 9 33rd overall every rookie in the 2023 class along with nonsensical um, quarterbacks and other positional assets are valued ahead of him. Keep trade cut rank QB 15 for three 39th overall, even more undervalued on market consensus trade calculators. Adjacent assets looking at guys like Travis Etienne, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Cooper Cup, Kenneth Walker, Drake London. And that's essentially he's saying he's worth not even necessarily a premium one, but an early first round draft pick and potentially a kicker, but not much more. And I mean, even then a, a lot of like good luck getting a very early first round draft pick straight up for Cooper Cup. Good luck turning Jackson Smith and Jigba into what is a perceivable 1-1 in 2024. Like, you can't do it. So one early first-round pick is essentially two as equivalent rookie value. And I get it. Like, he saw terrifying, uh, absolutely heart-wrenching, terrifying, and, and that is no exaggeration, string of head injuries. It derailed a phenomenal 2022 campaign. And what was truly a phenomenal 2022 campaign, he had multiple QB1 overall finishes, um, multiple top five finishes, uh, a 40-point game in week two. And the addition of Mike McDaniel last season, along with the supercharged speed demon of Tyree Kill, it really set the young franchise quarterback up for a season of success. And, and Tua met all of those offerings with blazing production. He averaged 24.7 points per game that would have been QB three in all of his healthy starts. So I'm not counting the games that he got knocked out of, and I'm not counting the ones after the second concussion. So 
24.7 points per game in games that he finished it finished and before the second concussion. Obviously, upon return, struggled to find the same consistency in the offense. You saw him miss some nice throws, kind of some bad decision making. Obviously, some side effects of being knocked unconscious twice in, in the span of two weeks. But he still ended up averaging 18.4 points per game. That was QB9 overall. So you're telling me that if Tua plays at his concussion level, pardon the, you know, <laughs> politically incorrectness, but if he plays at his injured level, he averages 18.4 points per game as QB9, and we're valuing him at QB15. That's undervaluing right there, folks. That's undervaluing at his finest. Everything is in place for Tua to surgically pick apart opposing defenses in 2023. And any injury concerns should be mitigated by his current investment costs like he's being valued as a high-end mid-range qb2 like you're already getting your qb1 you're already getting two top 36 assets and then you're getting to a like there's all the risk gone and any and all attempts to downgrade to his talent is baseless and unjustified the only reason for this discount which has gone way too far in superflex leagues is the injury concerns and there's nothing to say that he's more susceptible to concussions. There's nothing to say he's more susceptible to head injuries. There's no research to support that. The concern, obviously, is just keeping him upright in general behind a horrendous offensive line, which they've made aggressive opportunities to improve that offensive line. And again, everything's just in place for Tua right now. He led the NFL in yards per attempt last season. He led it in deep ball completion percent percentage at 50%. His yards per attempt was 8.9. Red zone completion percentage, he also led 65.3%. And he led the league in passer rating versus man coverage, 117.8 passer rating in 2022. He also ranked top three in EPA at 149.4, top three in passer rating versus zone coverage at 105.8, and top three in pressure completion percentage. It's simple. And it's simple to say. But nobody wants to accept it and believe it, but it's true. And he produces the point-per-game averages to go alongside it. Tua Tagovailoa is amongst the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history, let alone active in the league today. He's purely one of the most accurate passers of the football in NFL history. And say everything you want about his arm strength. He, he might be closer to Drew Brees than Tom Brady, but I'm just fine with that. I am fine with a perennial superstar pocket passer that puts up top eight points per game when healthy. And looking forward into 2023, it's not like much has changed on the Dolphins offense. The team has made conservative but aggressive efforts to improve the offensive line there weren't many great um free agent signings so they attacked it a little bit in free agency or um in the draft rather at least to attempt to you know bolster that offensive line should some depth issues come up and they they're going to attempt to keep to upright obviously but it's the same offensive system they added devonna kane um out of the draft out of Texas A&M, um, another super speed demon with legit Olympic level speed. Tyreek Hill enters 2023 fresh off a wide receiver over one wide receiver, one overall finish. Um, third year wide out Jalen Waddle coming into his own uh, perennial top 12 producer. And of course, like Mike McDaniel, again, he brings an entire season of head coaching experience to the table to implement what is already a masterful offense, one that had much success in San Francisco and that he brings to Miami and plays at an incredible tempo and a system that is designed and in place to put Tua in a prime position to feed guys with incredible speed 
and kind of just sit back and let the offensive work for him. Like the system and the weapons are placed to create a symphony of success for Tua. He just needs to show up and conduct the orchestra. The way that McDaniel and this organization has set everything in front of him, minus the offensive line, which hopefully and obviously actually holds up a bit for an entire season. It's everything a quarterback like Tua needs to succeed and to put up incredible fantasy numbers. So being valued as the QB 15, when even his lowest ceiling of projections is a top eight quarterback in points per game at the age of 25, it's it's silly. And I know we get a little enamored with these rookie values and and we're obviously pushing up these rookie values as you see them adjacent with and, and valued ahead. Um, with guys like C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, all valued more than Tua. Um, I, I understand that the offseason is going to ride that rookie wave of evaluations, but having Tua this far down the ADP boards when he is going to be a long-term producer as long as they can maintain his health um, is absolutely silly to me. And another undervalued player, um, kind of in the, in, in the same vein of things, just there's no other real reason other than a perceived situation to be a negative one, um, which in all honesty, isn't that negative, but the way that we're valuing Drake London right now seems a little low as well. Actually, if not quite low, I'll be honest, he's, he's only 21 years old wide receiver 15 when he had a market evaluation of wide receiver 10 at the peak of the season, when he was pulling all those targets, um, that's 4-3, 40th overall on Sleeper. His keep trade cut rank a little bit higher, so the trade market is actually a little bit higher on him than his startup cost, um, which you do see quite a bit often. You're, and that's because trade markets are always going to want to value guys at their peak or at least at, um, the most that you can get out of them, obviously, whereas people are less likely to take that risk in the startup depending on their builds. But he has a keep trade cut rank of wide receiver 12, 3-7, 31st overall. And adjacent assets fall in line with guys like Travis Etienne, Cooper Cup, Kenneth Walker, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, DK Metcalf. That's an early to mid first round rookie pick. So you're essentially saying like pick one, four in 2023 or a top four to five pick in 2024 could get you Drake London and probably a kicker is needed to add it to that again, as the trade market is a little bit uh, more stiff in their evaluations, but Still, nonetheless, undervalued for what he's done. And and let, let's let's put it all into perspective. Let's step back all the way to his incredible, incredible collegiate season. Drake London entered the NFL with an elite prospect profile. He boasted a historically elite true freshman breakout at 17 years old. He had prototypical size, plus athleticism, and then solidified an alpha game changer profile with eighth overall draft capital, and then proceeded that with the single highest target share for a rookie in NFL history. I'll repeat that. The single highest target share for a rookie in NFL history. Drake London, although the volume was minimal, he still put up target shares that rookies have never seen before. The laughable inefficiency of mediocre journeymen like Marcus Mariota coupled with Neanderthal-era play calling of... Arthur Smith, unsurprisingly, is going to limit London's production ceiling, despite boasting what we just said were historic analytic averages. Neither of those previously mentioned negatives should be viewed as long-term negatives. They're not. Yet, London's preposterous evaluation at wide receiver 15 overall suggests that the dynasty market believes otherwise. And one of those two factors have already been removed. 
Uh, the Falcons are moving on from Mariota. If you didn't know, now you know. Starting their second-year quarterback, Desmond Ritter, in his place, 2023 is Desmond Ritter season. Even the most menial increase in passing volume or in passing efficiency could propel London's sophomore stats into an elite tier that solidifies what is already an elite range of outcomes. His peripheral metrics are off the chart could theoretically improve further in his second season. But in 2022, he managed a 29.4% target share that was wide receiver five overall, a 32.4% target rate that was wide receiver two overall. He had 2.4 yards per route, wide receiver 11, and 2.1 yards per team pass attempt. Unfortunately, his counting stats, receptions, total yards, didn't follow. He finished the year with 117 total targets, only 72 receptions, 866 yards, four touchdowns. So that was 10.5 points per game for quick maths and wide receiver 43 overall in points per game. But Dynasty is about the long con. Like again, uh, said it at the top of the episode. We'll say it again. We'll probably repeat it one more or two more times, but we're not playing for single seasons. We're playing to build dynasties and stealing an asset like Drake London away from managers at his current cost should be considered grand larceny when you look at his range of outcomes. But the market has left the vaults wide open and no alarms are set. Drake London is somebody that I'm going to smash and grab at all chances at all ADPs in his current dynasty startup cost. There's another player that I'm doing that with. I'm not honestly as bolsterous on his total production and range of outcomes as I am as Drake London, but Javante Williams, 23 years old, RB 15, that's 5'8", 56th overall, keep trade cut rank of RB 16, 6'7", 66th overall. So startup values are actually kind of seeing that build. You know you're potentially punting a season or, or building for value around pick 56, whereas trading for him is a little bit cheaper. Um, adjacent assets, DJ Moore, JK Dobbins, George Pickens, Traylon Burks, Derek Henry, Kenny Pickett. That's basically two early second round picks, maybe a late first, if you want to go that route and entering the fifth round of startup drafts, th- this undervalue um, evaluation that I'm about to give calling Javante Williams undervalued. It, it kind of plays into game theory because when you enter the fifth round of startup drafts, you should be well aware of your projected build and your roster trajectory. You should know whether you're building for production or value. And after the top 55 assets are secured, there are really only two directions you can take your build value or current production. And Javante Williams, he currently represents what is really like the cheapest running back with a three down workhorse, every snap skill set on the dynasty market. I really could see him putting up like a career point per game after fully healthy, like Josh Jacobs um, just did kind of having a similar career arc to Josh Jacobs. where going to dominate most of the snaps take a while to get that opportunity share kicking up as we've seen year one, year two entering year three. Now with Javante Williams going to be a little bit injured again, that overall opportunity share probably minimized, but entering that year four, that contract year five season, you're going to see monumental value shares and monumental opportunity shares for guys like Javante Williams. And again, kind of following in that Josh Jacobs career arc. I don't think you can get a running back with the right age, the right skill set, and the right, potential high ceiling as Javante Williams anywhere past round two, three, if you want Jameer Gibbs to fall into that, like every other guy you're going for production over value. 
Javante can provide both at a much higher level than his current cost. And in 2022, he kind of showcased that skill set, even when he was sharing the field with Melvin Gordon. Before he got hurt, uh, three games, younger back um, in Javante, he averaged seven targets. I guess it was 13.1 carries per game. And then he got sidelined, obviously. A justifiable dip in consensus value is going to stem from that knee injury. Like we, we know that, but the current outlook for Javante is much too low. I think it's much too weak of a, you're, you're valuing him not even really at his ceiling range of outcomes, but at well below that. And, and luckily again, like knee injuries and ACL injuries are not the death knell to any position, but not the death knell to running back careers that it used to be. And he's, ahead of injury on his timeline reportedly he's making full cuts in training camp you can go watch the videos and he's expected to make a full recovery by the end of the 2023 season yes he's going to start out slow yes may even miss a few games but although a downward swing in production upon return is slightly expected the upside swing once he returns to full speed is well worth the current acquisition cost again you're not going to get a guy that can actually break through into the top 10 value and production at the running back position past the third round unless you're looking at guys like Javante Williams and someone like Rashad White, who we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later as well. So you can perceive a little bit of a downward swing in production, downward swing in, in, in value, but it doesn't add up to his current cost. And his current cost gives you an ability to invest in something that is genuinely league changing. Past round five, I think you should be swinging for the fences. You should be going for the guys that you know are undervalued veterans that are going to produce top 10 positional point per game finishes that season in an attempt to win now, or you should be vesting in guys like Javante Williams, who is only 23 years old. He's got four more seasons of high quality production. Should he meet his ceiling before he reaches that dreaded age cliff for players at dynasty at the position, there's plenty of time for the gamble to pay off at current investments. He's valued around similar risks, guys like Derek Henry, who aren't going to hold any value regardless of production. And Javante Williams has put up RB one performances in weekly basis. And he's had huge games and he's flashed all of the talent. I'm not even a huge fan of Javante, but I am a huge fan of capitalizing on his value because it's not going to get much worse either. Like he's not leaving the NFL anytime soon. Worst case scenario is he's now 24 years old, valued around the same at RB 16, RB 17, but is now fully healthy and with a much clearer trajectory. So I'm not at all opposed to trading for investing at startup costs, like whatever it takes. I kind of want to take advantage of this evaluation of Javante Williams, because it's very rare that you get a player that can genuinely maintain an 80% opportunity share with a 15% target share and a 70% rushing share while being on the field for all three downs in the fifth round. So I'll take that gamble on a younger back to, to maintain full health to maybe even, you know, pop out like Dalvin cook did, as we mentioned earlier in the episode with an ACL tear and then turned into a monster afterwards. I think Javante can meet that ceiling. And I think even at his current cost, it kind of doesn't matter if he does meet that ceiling because he's not going to be valued any less. Another player that I think is going to meet that ceiling is Trey Lance. He's 23 years old. He was drafted third overall. He's got a sleeper ADP right now of QB 19, 6'10", 70th overall on sleeper, but a keep trade cut rank of QB 26. That's 10'5", 113th overall. Trey Lance is becoming like too easy to invest in. Adjacent assets, Kenny Pickett, Jared Goff, Terry McLaurin, Calvin Ridley, Elijah Moore, Mac Jones, two seconds. 
betting on Trey Lance to be a starting quarterback is like betting on rain in Florida. It's only a matter of time before that would pay off. And per my buddy Ian Miller at Dynasty I am on Twitter, make sure you check him out. I'm going to quote him a little bit. There have been 23 quarterbacks selected in the top five picks since 2006. Of those quarterbacks, Trey Lance remains the only one who have started in fewer than seven games. The only one. All 23 have made, had more than seven starts. Trey Lance is going to be a starter for an entire season at one point in his NFL career. And he is not being drafted like he will ever start another game. For context, let's put this into perspective. Mitch Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Blake Bortles, Marcus Mariota. Horrendous. All top draft picks all started a minimum of 50 games despite disastrous results. The leash for Trey Lance's career is as long as the golden gate bridge and two years remain. If you pick up the option on his rookie contract draft capital alone suggests that he's going to be a season long starter at some point during his NFL tenure. Some point Trey Lance will start games. It might not be for the 49ers, but at some point Trey Lance will start games. QB 19 is not a Konami code, young 23-year-old starting quarterback value. There's just nobody in that range that has what Trey Lance has. And when, not if, when the time comes that Trey Lance starts a full season, his current cost evaluation as a true Konami code game-breaking quarterback is going to be laughed at in hindsight. You know who else is undervalued? Boom. Marquise Brown. Hollywood Brown is perennially undervalued. And, and I get it. You're not, you're never going to get on the trade market what his production is valued for you on your roster once you actually have him on your roster. Much like a Tyler Lockett in that sense um, throughout his career. Maybe even a Brandon Cooks, you could say. But I, Marquise is, for one, much more talented than either of those two and is still entering his peak. He's 26 years old. He's coming off a, a foot injury, but he did finish out the second season, but the Cardinals offense had already imploded. So it didn't really matter right now. He's being valued at the wide receiver 34. That's seven 11 always open. Makes sense. 83rd overall His keep trade cut rank wide receiver 35, eight, one 85th overall. So pretty much the, again, you're the market is have their mind made up on, on Marquise Brown in all formats. And that is a, being an undervalued asset with adjacent values such as Jordan Love, Miles Sanders, Christian Kirk, Zach Charbonnet, Rashad White, who we will mention in brief as well in this episode. And, you know, two second rookie round draft picks. They don't even have to be early. Just random ones is like basically what people want on the market for Marquis. And I think that's silly. He saw a career year in 2022 come crashing down after a catastrophic foot injury saw him miss five games. And once he returned, the Cardinals offense had already imploded, as I mentioned at the hands of shoddy play calling from um, Cliff Kingsbury and obviously another disastrous injury, this time to star quarterback Kyler Murray. But before being injured, the man they call Hollywood had the bright lights on him and he ranked as the wide receiver five in points per game. He was averaging 19.7 PPR points per game. He was on pace for 122 receptions, 1,374 yards and nine touchdowns based on his pre-injury per game averages. And despite a disastrous second half of 2022, he still finished with really respectable numbers, 67 receptions, 709 yards, 107 targets, three touchdowns, 13.0 points per game. That was wide receiver 27. In the wildly unlikely scenario that he maintains his poor averages from the second half of last season, he would still be undervalued at wide receiver 35. The market is over adjusting in a panic. Murray's injury will likely keep him out for the first half of the season. Yeah, that leaves Colt McCoy to take snaps under center. Sure. 
Although a decline in target value is undeniable, worth noting, absolutely, the drastic dip in Brown's current ADP has seemingly not taken into consideration the departure of DeAndre Hopkins. He stands alone, does Marquise Brown, atop the Cardinals depth chart as the only wide receiver on the offense to secure more than 75 targets in a single season. The only one. And the only other player altogether on the offense, regardless of position, to achieve such a feat is Zach Ertz, who is now entering his age 32 season, also fresh off a complete ACL tear and reconstructive surgery. So projecting 140 plus targets for a healthy Brown, I think is honestly conservative. The sheer volume attached to a player of Marquise Brown's talent and acumen that overrides any inefficiency concerns surrounding the Cardinals' bottom-tier offense and Kyler Murray's injury for as long as it may be um, until his return. As I said, I'm going to touch on a brief because I still think Rashad White is being ignored as what could actually be a game-changing fantasy asset in 2023. Rashad's 24 years old. His sleeper ADP is RB21. That's 8-1, 85th overall. He has a keep trade cut rank of RB24, 9-4. That's 100th overall. Quite a big gap on the trade market um, between his startup ADP. Adjacent assets, though, are almost laughable. Pat Fryermouth always undervalued, so he shouldn't even be in this tier whatsoever. But Kirk Cousins, Cam Akers, Devon Kane, Kendra Miller, Derek Carr, and uh, that's basically saying you're going to give 2-1 112 at the most for this player. Um, and, and even less than that. I mean, I don't think anyone's really asking or expecting Rashad to yield random first round value, but he will once the season kicks off. It's like, okay, Chase Edmonds, Keyshawn Vaughn, Patrick Laird, Sean Tucker, rookie Sean Tucker, undrafted rookie Sean Tucker. Um, those guys are the only four active running backs on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster. And Rashad White, who obviously enters his second season atop that depth chart, undeniably as the three down starter, staring down the pipeline of a monstrous opportunity share with no real competition to deter his path to production. As a rookie, he saw, well, okay, he's behind Fournette, obviously. So White saw just 129 rushing attempts for 481 yards. Pretty disappointing yard per carry, 3.7. But encouragingly, he received 58 targets. That was RB12 and secured 50 receptions on those 58 targets for 290 yards. Rounded out an inaugural rookie season with 8.2 points per game, RB42. Oh, no, not great. Not great. But a positive receiving profile has always been the calling card to success for the promising dual threat running back. That is Rashad white. Rashad white boasts a stunning analytic profile from his days at Arizona state. He led the team in both rushing and receiving production while he was there, by the way, market shares and counting stats, his 54 targets and 244 count them total routes run as a rookie will surely increase. Now that Leonard Fournette is no longer in the picture. He's going to benefit from this offense being a bad offense. Like they're going, they're not going to be able to push the ball down the field. They're going to check down a lot. They're going to rely heavily on the run game. And I think that's going to benefit White's projected production for 2023. Projected production is hard to say, but (laughs) all of this is going to benefit Rashad White's projected production for 2023. Baker Mayfield is going to be the starter. Um, probably for most of the season, you got third year quarterback, Kyle Trask backing him up who might take over depending on how bad Baker actually is. But regardless, both of them have an inability to push the ball downfield with bad decision-making and 
weak arms. Um, they have a high propensity for checkdowns and short yardage dump offs, which position white as a primary target on the offense, as opposed to just a tertiary weapon behind Godwin and Mike Evans. Uh, volume is king. Volume is king in fantasy football. And the Buccaneers have the dial turned all the way up to 11 on their second year running back. Last and certainly not least, but the lowest valued asset of the episode, the most undervalued asset of the episode, and arguably the easiest to increasing his value and production, Deontay Johnson of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Deontay enters the season at 27 years old. He'll finish at 27 years old as he just turned 27 this week. His sleeper ADP is wide receiver 37. That's 8-9, 93rd overall. Keep trade cut agrees with the horrendous evaluation at wide receiver 37, 8-9. That's 93rd overall. Adjacent assets, Isaiah Pacheco, Devonna Kane, Brock Purdy, Elijah Moore, Geno Smith. A single second is going to get me Deontay Johnson. I'm buying all day. The only justifiable reason for Deontay Johnson. Start it. <laughs> the only justifiable reason for Deontay Johnson current dynasty evaluation is if you genuinely have in your 2023 productions, him scoring zero touchdowns for the second consecutive season. And if you do, you need to reassess your projections. They are incorrect. Positive regression in the scoring department is a guarantee. I will bet everything on it. Deontay Johnson is going to score more than zero touchdowns this season. Positive regression is a guarantee for an elite separator, which Deontay Johnson is. Um, his reception perception profile just dropped. Matt Harmon released it. Go check it out on Twitter. Some excellent data charts there. Deontay is green as green gets. His winning averages are in elite tiers alongside guys like Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson. Deontay Johnson is inarguably the most underrated pure separator and wide receiver in the NFL right now. He unfortunately set the single season record for most targets um, without a touchdown at 147 in 2022. But that's my point. Like you're never going to see that again. 147 targets though also marked the third consecutive season that Deontay Johnson has secured over 140 targets. There's only two other wide receivers in the NFL that have had 140 or more targets since 2020. The list ends and begins with Devontae Adams and Stefan Diggs. That's it. Deontay Johnson, Devontae Adams, and Stefan Diggs are the only three wide receivers since 2020 to have more than 140 targets in three consecutive seasons. He's an elite separator. Elite as elite gets. Even last year, in what is his worst statistical season since joining the league and his rookie season, he averaged 10.9 points per game. That's wide receiver 39. 10.9 points per game at wide receiver 39 without a single touchdown. Furthermore, he's entering his prime. He's 27 years old. You're talking about three more years of Deontay Johnson breaking ankles on routes. And he should greatly benefit from continued development of second-year quarterback Kenny Pickett. Now, I don't think Pickett's very good, but he's going to be better than he was as a rookie. And managers do not need a monumental ascension to start him from Kenny Pickett in order for the current cost investment of Deontay Johnson to pay off. Those are not mutually exclusive things. Like they do not exist in the same realm together. Once Johnson's career scoring averages regress to the norm, which they will, his production and value will insulate well above his current startup ADP. And that's that he's worth the cost of investment. 
every day and twice on Sunday specifically when he's on the football field dominating defensive backs that can't maintain more than two yards of distance within him or with him. Deontay's the man. He, he He's a nuanced route, route runner. He's got excellent ball skills. The drop issues that everybody was concerned about after year two, year three, out the window. He knows how to secure a ball. And when you're earning 150 targets from the husk of Ben Roethlisberger and the poor developmental rookie season of Kenny Pickett, some drops might happen. It's just a volume stat more than it is a a indicator of Deontay Johnson's talent level. And with that said, we're going to wrap it up. You heard it all. A lot of undervalued assets out there. A lot of places to gain value. A lot of pivots to make. Head back. Check out the previous episodes in the archives. BrotoFantasy.com. Go to the Patreon. Please consider subscribing for as little as $3 a month. You get extra podcasts, extra waiver wire pods during season, access to the DFS optimizer from our mathematical super genius, Santiago Casanova. You also get access to me for dynasty roster evaluations, trade advice, Brodo leagues, specialized leagues, theme leagues, beat the Brodo bro leagues, all of that stuff and more can be found for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash Brodo fantasy, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you know, we'll be uploading. We'll be keeping the content coming. And also please one more download the app. It's free. It's everywhere. You can get apps and it is well worth the cost of investment much like every single asset we mentioned on this episode. Wow, what a finish. Much love, much respect. At PsychWardFF, at BrotoFantasy, at BrotoFFTim, at BrotoFFJason, at BrotoFFMike, at BrotoFFCasanova. An army of love and content coming your way, as always. Peace.